Xavier, I'd be rich if I had a dollar every time I heard someone say, man, I wish I knew 20 years ago what I know today about money. They need to be teaching about this stuff in school. Like the power of investing early. Compound interest. That alone would impact lives. Understanding and planning for taxes. Understanding the difference between both good debt and bad debt. Eric, what about all the stuff about money that business owners need to know? What kind of insurance should you be buying? The importance of contributing towards your retirement. They don't teach any of this stuff in school. Y'all sit back, get ready, because we are talking stuff about money they didn't teach you in school that you need to know. Welcome back to the Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School podcast. I am Eric Garcia, Certified Financial Planner, and joined with my co-host, Xavier J. Angel, Certified Financial Planner. Eric, I'm great to be here today. You're great to be. I am great to have you here today, brother. All right, Xavier, we find ourselves in... uh, an environment, a financial environment where interest rates are going up. That's kind of one of the themes that we're seeing right now financially. The Federal Reserve, they meet, they're talking about, do we raise rates? Do we not raise rates? But what does that even mean for the average person out there? Basically what it means is money is getting more expensive. When they raise interest rates, that just means it's more expensive for somebody to borrow that money. I think the way that most people, the average person experiences that is going to be if they're looking to buy a house or get a loan or refinance because those interest rates on those mortgage rates are going up. And I think that's probably the the most clear way that the average person sees that. So today, why don't you go ahead and introduce us to our guest because that's what we're talking about today. So our guest today is uh, Jason Goche. Um, I've known Jason for about uh, two years. Um, Jason comes from 13 years in the banking industry. Um, he's also spent the last two years with NOLA Lending. So it's been a great time to have uh, Jason to come on because we're getting questions about interest rates and mortgages and loans and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other things, uh, Jason is a graduate of Brother Martin. So welcome on the show, Jason. How are you doing today? Why don't you give us a little bit about yourself that I didn't already mention? Sure, sure. So... Um Went to Brother Martin, graduated 2005. I uh, went to the University of Alabama and got my degree in uh, unrelated to finance completely, healthcare management. <laughs> and then from there, I got my master's with UNO, uh, just a business administration. And I don't even remember the year. It could have been 2012, could have been 2013. It's all kind of a blur at that point. Well, healthcare um, management, that's something I did not know about you. <laughs> yeah, so it's it only like two healthcare classes. So it was basically a management degree with two healthcare classes. So it, was, it wasn't really that much different than your typical management degree. Born and raised in New Orleans. I have, uh, I've been married for eight years, or it'll be eight years this year in June. And we have a lovely six-year-old daughter. So I got a question. How, how is it possible that a graduate of the University of Alabama can have any success business-wise in Southeast Louisiana? Like, is that? Shh, we just don't tell them. Is that? We don't tell them. <laughs> like, not until they start liking you already. Like, do you then wear, you them, do you wear University of Alabama stuff around town? Like, socks. So, okay, that's good. 
Socks. No one knows it. No one knows Got it. Got Crimson Tide underwear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no. On the weekends, I will wear my Alabama shirt. And, you know, occasionally you'll get the boo here and there. But uh, uh, you, you, you'll get that roll tide, so, and that'll make, funny, it, uh, that'll make it worthwhile. Funny story. Funny story. When uh, I graduated from Tulane, this was 2000 in man, 2001. I just graduated, and my wife graduated from LSU. And it was the first year, it might have been 2002 because we were living in Baton Rouge and LSU and Tulane were playing each other for the first time in, man, decades. So, Forever, man, yeah. I just graduated from Tulane. So, I'm, man, I am proud of being a you know green wave and I got my Tulane stuff on and, man, we are tailgating right there. And, dude, LSU fans are rough. They are rough, man. So if they treated me with a with two lane stuff, I can't imagine what you get with uh, with Alabama. So anyway, all right. Real question. Well, now, now I think I gotta uh, give a shout out to my Loyola Ramblers, Loyola Chicago. <laughs> all right, Loyola. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's two Loyolas, Xavier. Two, two. There's there's a couple there's of them. No, no, yeah, I'm, there's a couple of them out giving there. Giving them a hard time. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, look, the Ramblers, Ramblers, uh, Ramblers, Loyola, Chicago, we've been in the uh, Sweet 16 the past couple years. Um, not the Sweet, well, the tournament the last couple years. Okay. All right. Uh, well, for the real question, Jason, that we ask all of our guests, right? This is the Stuff About Money podcast that you didn't learn in school. So you're here. You've been in banking for, for 12 years. So presumably you've been exposed to all these fantastic, really good lessons about money. What's something that you wish you would have known at the beginning of your career about money that you know today? So, um, ever since you emailed me, you know, a couple of questions that we're going to talk about, this is one that has been a big, a big head scratcher for me. And, uh, I think it, I keep coming back to this conversation I had with my older brother who is an advisor as well, um, in Texas. And, we were just kind of discussing, you know, kind of like money and, and futures and, and future things and things like that. And he asked me if I had retirement accounts outside of 401ks. He asked me if I had a brokerage account set up. And, and at that point, you know, my wife and I were pretty comfortable and we, we had access cash and it's not like we were really investing it, but we were just kind of like socking it away. And, um, we kind of had like this pretty big heart to heart about, man, you need, you need to make a budget, your access cash, where's it going? It needs to go somewhere. And that was God, like three, three and a half years ago, maybe. So when I had that conversation, like within a week, I had a Roth IRA open for me. I had a Roth IRA open for my wife. Um, I had a brokerage account open with Vanguard and ever since then, I've been socking every extra dollar away every single time I can get access to cash. Um, so that was, like I said, three, three and a half years ago. If I would have been, been a bit smarter, um, maybe if I would have started that when I first started working, I would be probably four, five, six times as much cash as I have now. Um, wow. Even making less money, I you wow. know with the market gains and things like yeah. that, I, I would be pretty confident in saying that I'd be at least four times as much in cash that I have now. You know, it's it's interesting to me. That's a pretty consistent response that we get to that question. And you know, a lot a lot of our guests are you know we've had um, portfolio managers and and 
business owners of, of very, 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 very large businesses and, and, and investments. And it's a very similar, very similar uh, response. I wish I would have taken advantage of compound interest. That's what one of our CPA uh, um, guests said. Another guest, big time business owner, same thing, compound interest. People, you know, we had a portfolio manager. I wish I would have saved more. Uh, yeah. That's a it's a very common theme. What's really what's really interesting about what you said though was uh, there was an intentionality about where you should be putting your money. So it's not just I should have, wish I would have saved more. It's an intentionality of where you should have saved. Yeah, because I had savings accounts. You know, we had a a good healthy emergency fund, and and we didn't really seem to be growing that like fast as fast as we really should have been. Um, so when I, I do all the finances for the home. Um, so when I had that conversation, I really made it a point and the only way I'm going to really earn, you know, enough interest or enough gains is by going mutual funds and, and in the market. Cause we have, you know, 20, 25 years or so until we don't really have to worry about that. We have enough monthly cash and enough emergency funds to be able to say we don't really ever have to touch this. You know, Eric, uh, th- this conversation is starting off um, similar to one of our, our previous podcasts that we did. And, and we talked about, um, you know, our, our guest was just putting money away into his savings account, keeping it into his checking account until he learned about compound interest and, and the benefit of putting it into those other vehicles where, you know, he was accumulating uh, cash in there. So, um, yeah. you know, Jason, um, so as I mentioned earlier, this this is a great time to come in and start talking about um, interest and loans and mortgages and so forth. One of the big questions that I've been getting is, you know, what determines the interest rates uh, that you qualify for when looking at loans and mortgages? Yeah, that's a great one, and it's it's a really it, it's it seems like a simple question, but it is loaded with all types of like multiple questions that are factored into um, that interest rate. So when and I get a I get a client that calls up and and they say, hey, what's what are rates today? You know, that's like saying, is the sky blue? Because it's it's so generic of a question because of how many different types of factors that go into it. So, you know, I'll start asking them, hey, you know, are you looking to buy? Are you looking to refi? Are you looking to get cash out of a refi? So those three questions right there lead to three different adjustments on an interest rate. And that's just one part of the interest rate. Break that down for us. You said three factors. Are you looking to refi? Are you looking to buy or are you looking to refi take cash out is that what correct the three? all okay. three of those questions have different adjustments to your interest rate so walk walk our listeners through that pro, through, through kind of like rank them like this is going to be the lowest <laughs> the next lowest and then the and so on and so that's forth. that was exact that was my exact thought if the i the best adjustment for those three questions is number one purchase that has the best of those three rates then refinance with no cash out is the second. And then after that, it's the refi with cash out is the third. So the, that's how you would rank those three in terms of adjustments to a rate. 
And when I call them adjustments, it's like the cost of that rate. So like if you ever chose to buy down a rate, that's the cost of that rate. We have what's called a par rate where you don't have any cost to the rate or you can choose to buy that down. When you say buy down, you're talking about on the front end, I'm going to put more cash down to buy my rate down a little bit. That's correct. Okay. So we would essentially give that client the options of you know how much you're going to save if you bought down, how much that's going to cost, and what's your typical return. Like how, how long is that going to take you to make your money back on your initial investment at the front end? Now, don't get me wrong. It is just a single cost. It's not a monthly fee or an annual cost or anything like that. But there's, there's kind of a bell curve to it. There's a bit of a sweet spot when, when you're buying down. And I typically would tell a client, you know, if you bought down to here, it's probably worth it. If you bought is down that, here, it's not worth it. Is that the same thing that we hear at points when people talk about like points Correct. in their mortgage? Is That's that what we call that. Yes. That's okay. what we would call that. And they're it, called the tip it, the the exact term is called discount points. But yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. So what what exactly is a point? <laughs> Because I, I, you know, you're going to get people that are going to ask, yeah, okay, well, what's a point? For sure. So in to break that down, and when we say points, and look, we're in the mortgage industry, so we know our language, but our clients don't. So we're here to simplify that language as easy as possible. Break it that. down for us, man. This is school, man. This is, <laughs> break it down. You're, you're taking us to school. Yeah. Okay. So let's say, you know, I quote a client at 5%. And, and this is just, I'm not even putting a scenario on it. It's just, here's your rate. It's 5%. If you wish to buy down that to that rate to 4.75%, it would cost you one point. One point is one percentage point of the loan amount. So if that loan was $3,000, to buy that rate, it would cost you 3000 Did I say that right? Or did I say 300000 I did say 300000 Yeah, $300,000 loan, 1%, $3,000. So if you chose to buy that down, it may save you on a $300,000 loan, I would probably say between $60 and $75, just brain. I might even calculate. Yeah, about a month. And... So your buy down back, or your, excuse me, your your time it would take you to make that back, 3,000 divided by, let's just call it the 60, that's 50 months. So it's, you're breaking even at four years, two, two months. I would tell a client that's probably right on that cusp. If you feel like you're going to stay in the house longer than that and you're not going to refinance that, that loan, then it's probably worth it. But if you are intending on moving before that, or you're just not sure how long you're going to be in there, then maybe keep that 3000 in your pocket, invest it, keep it as emergency funds. And it's only, like I said, $60 extra a month in that scenario. I mean, it's not really a scenario, but that imagination, imaginative scenario. Right. Yeah, so and all the scenarios are going to be different based off of the individual. Absolutely. That got us. Everything is going to be completely different based on every individual. Yeah. That, that's the thing. I think it's not like, hey, man, just give me a mortgage, right? <laughs> there, there's there's factors. Like, what's your what's your credit rate? You yep. know, how long are you going to stay in the house? Why, you know, why are you looking to get a mortgage? Yep. There, there, all, those, all those variables play into kind of building this profile of, of what a good recommendation may be. You know, I always like to say personal finance is personal and getting a loan is, is, is personal. So the other, to circle back to that question, there's, the, the other adjustments to the rate 
are, and you just mentioned a good chunk of them, credit score, loan amount, because the, the larger the loan, the, the typically the better the rate. Um, if it's primary residence, if it's second home, if it's investment, if you have, um, if it's a single family home, if it's a condo, a town home, a double, three to four units, all of these things can come into play um, on, I, I forgot one too, down payment, which is your loan to value. Mm -hmm that can also come into a big factor as well on what that ideal rate is going to be for you. So when a customer calls and like, what's my rate? I'm like, well, man, I don't even know your first name, you know, cause you <laughs> didn't tell me when you, when I answered the phone. So it's very difficult for me to, to kind of just blanket that answer with a generic rate because there's so many different factors that are involved in it to give them a real rate you know, something that's really concrete for that particular situation. So Jason, both, both you and Eric mentioned uh, credit score. Um, and you and I have had a conversation regarding credit score and how it affects loans and, and, and on the, um, in the past. Talk to me a little bit about credit scores. You know, how can it affect it, not affect it? Is there a way to, you know, briefly, is there a way that a client can manage that or monitor that to make sure that they have a proper credit score to be able to come in? Absolutely. So um, typically, if you are doing, a, let's just say, a regular conventional loan, you know, standard 20% down, anything over about 740 credit score gives you about the same credit, the same interest rates, depending on you know, if any other part of those, that part of that scenario changes, the interest rate is uh, typically the same. Then you start going into like these pockets of like 20 points, you know, and, and it's going to be different for every institution slightly, but typically, you know, if you have a 700 credit score, you're going to be very close to those ideal rates. If you have a 680 and you're doing a low down payment, you're going to start getting, you're going to start creeping up on those interest rates that are a little bit higher. So in order to try to boost your score, there are ways that you can boost scores. Um, and typically, credit scores fluctuate significantly when it comes to like utilization ratios on credit cards. Um, if you have a low utilization ratio, that define you, define define utilization for our listeners. Sir, sure. So if you have two credit cards, five thousand dollar limits on each. Each one has a thousand dollar balance. So you have a total of ten thousand dollars in credit limits and two thousand dollars in balances. So we take the two thousand into the ten thousand, and it's twenty percent. So that's your utilization ratio. So ideally, you want to be under thirty. But I, to be excellent, you want to be under 10. And really, you want to be 1% or 2%. And it's okay to pay what, your what cards if, what if in your scenario? What if in your scenario, um, we have one credit card that's more than a 30% utilization, but one that's very low, so you still average below 30? Is that the same? No. They look at no okay. They look at individual and and compound together. That's their okay. algorithms that Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. TransUnion, the three, the three major credit bureaus. That's the factors that they take into account. So if you have, say, 
5000 on one card, a credit, a credit limit of 5000 and you have that one maxed, but you have a $100,000 credit line on another card, you got 105 and only 5000 in limits, or 5000 in balance, excuse me, then it's still going to have a factor on that one. If you flip that balance over to the other one, then you're going to see a score increase within 30 days. So, so that's like a, that's like a, a that's a really good example of of someone who's thinking that they're cleaning up their credit score on their own that they're not. That one little small technique that they can do to boost their score that could save them thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars over the life of their mortgage. Over the life of the mortgage. Yep. And yeah. and a lot of it, there's a lot of like stigma about going out there and getting a credit card because oh my god my credit is sacred. And, and when that happens, you, you kind of almost, it's almost like the, the opposite. If you've got, you know, say $3,000 and you'll on a credit card and you, you only have one card and it's a $6,000 limit, your best bet is to go out there and get another card and don't use it. And you have a, say a three or $4,000 credit limit, you know, then at that point you got a little bit more utilization ratio that can positively impact you. Unless you have a terrible you know, spending yeah. habit, don't get another. Unless you card. have a terrible spending habit, or you <laughs> don't cannot get a credit card, manage, please, people. Yeah. If you cannot well, manage, it, it's all about managing yeah. what you have in your wallet. If you don't have that discipline, then clearly, don't go out there and get another credit card. Concentrate on paying down that debt, and that's so, the other way that you can lower that utilization ratio. So okay, so so we're talking about utilization ratio. I know that's a pretty big one in terms of the, the factoring your credit score. Um, my understanding is the biggest one is your payment history. Is Ideally, that- your payment history is the number one factor in in credit. Meaning um, you haven't paid late. You're yes, on time. Absolutely. Hopefully. Absolutely. So another big factor, and this happens a lot, We and customers don't even know it's happening to them. They have a medical charge-off of $50. Oh gosh! And their score drops eighty points because oh, they no. don't even realize that the they got it. They went into you know an urgent care, and they told the guys to bill them, and they had old data. They sent the they sent the bill to an old house, or they moved, or got lost in the mail. And those those urgent cares they don't have enough time to chase after fifty dollar bills. They just turn it over to collection collection agency slaps it on their bureau and now you've and it might not report to all we, we i've seen this actually this past week a credit bureau was had a medical charge off on two of the bureaus but not on the third so that that agency was only reporting to two of the bureaus his third bureau had a 793 credit score the other two had a 690 wow and there what was a gut, no what a gut other punch, though. there was no other difference in the bureau but that one, but that one thing. So, a little bit off off topic here. I'm just curious, and I know Xavier's got a question. But so, would you recommend whether you're looking to get a loan or not, just to run, to go one of those free credit reports and, and run it just to see what's on there? Yeah, and that was that was the second part of that question. And and it's like you can go to Credit Karma. Credit Karma is going to give you a great like uh, uh, background or great information about it. I wouldn't really go off their scores because their algorithm is different than the bureaus. But it gives you all accurate information. So there's nothing wrong with going on there, creating a brand new account, and just monitoring it 
to make sure there's nothing funny happening. Or there might be something on there that you were not aware of and that you can take care of and clean up before you go and do an application. The other option is to go create a free account with Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. And they they do have enhanced accounts where you know it might be like 10 or 15 bucks a month to do that if you wish to, but they do have free accounts where they can monitor all your credit as well. And typically, they're not giving you a score, a traditional score that you would give me as a mortgage broker. They're just Correct. basically showing my history and what's outstanding, and if there's any, if there's any, you know, thing hanging that I didn't know about. Absolutely, yeah. Those credit scores so, that those three give you are slightly different. Slightly different. Now, now, now I'm gonna jump in here because I, I can see you guys are excited about this convert, this topic. I mean, we could talk about this all day long. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Why you want to wreck our fun, bit. then, man? Why you want to wreck <laughs> no, our fun if we're no. having fun? So I'm going to flip it a little bit because now I want to ask you from the other side. So as we have individuals who are graduating from college and, and just getting started in their career, what can they do to build their credit? That's a good question. So um, multiple factors, but I would say the, the biggest one is to if they have, say, a parent that might be willing to add them as an authorized user to their card, don't give them the card because, you know, kids out of college might be kind of crazy. They need that emergency pizza, you know what I'm saying? So if you don't give them the card, pretty soon that card is going to start reporting to the Bureau as long as that card is 100% payment history, low utilization ratio, and has a long, like a long history, say a ten-year-old card or something like that, you know. So if you, you know, if you have a card, if one of your parents has a card like that, add a child to an to that card as an authorized user. Have the parent keep that card, and then that child will start receiving mailers for credit cards for themselves, and they could possibly use one of those to help build their credit for themselves. So hold on, so let me have, ask, let me have ask a, Claire, let me ask some clarification. So if I add, I got a son who's about to turn eighteen. If I add him on my credit card, he doesn't get the benefit of my credit card history in terms of the the data that he's starting fresh from the day I add him, or he gets all of the data. So he gets the benefit of my me paying on time, absolutely, all that kind of stuff, absolutely. So my wife is on my mother in law's, like I think Discover or something like that, and it's like older than her. I'm like, this isn't possible. But yes, it's her her so your oldest. Wife, ac- <laughs> your wife has a 50 year credit history. <laughs> her oldest account is older than her, and and it's it's clear because wow. you know my mother in law put her on that card. So, but now we'll say this on the flip side of that: if that father or mother or you know aunt or uncle, whoever winds up being a relative, a close family friend, if that person then removes that authorized user off the card. It goes away completely. Wow. Okay. So we call that, and there's a there's an actual term for it. It's called credit piggybacking. So Jason, let me uh, quick question for you. So I I add my I add my oldest daughter to my card. Yes. And she remains on there while she's in graduate sc- or while she's an undergrad, first year of graduate school. She comes off and and goes to apply for, you know, her own credit card or do something that they're going to run a credit report. Her that that credit score that she that she tallied, I, I guess you could say, while she was in college, 
is it it no longer follows her? Is that accurate, or does it follow her when she goes out to apply for another card or purchase a home or whatever it may be? So, I'm trying to wrap my head around your question, but I think I know so, what so it let's, is. So, right. So let's say let's say she she has a credit score of 740. Okay. Right. Because she's been on my card for the last six years. Yes. So she goes out to apply for her own own credit card now that she started her first job and and she's looking for her first house and applies for a mortgage. Mm-hmm. When you run that credit for that mortgage or that new credit card, is that score coming off at a seven forty? Correct. What it was when she was on my card. It's going to come. It's going to now. Let's just say it's seven forty credit score before you get at before you add her. And then you mm-hmm. add her, and then it shows the history. And let's just say that number goes to 760. She okay. goes and applies five years later. She's still on that card. And let's say her score is like nothing else on it has changed, and her scores are still the same. She goes and applies. They're going to pull 760. If you take her off and everything else is the same, they're going to pull 740. Because that card is okay. going to not show on the credit bureau anymore. At all. Okay. It's not the same as closing your own personal card, which continues to age even closed. Really? Gotcha. Yes. So if okay. I close if I close the credit card, so I can't use it anymore, it's still I still get the, the You're the still getting of... the age and the payment history. Really? Correct. Okay. That's good to so know. So it's There's still giving worse. you an increase in average age yeah. of accounts. Nothing worse than having an old credit card that, that is tied to some account somewhere and something gets paid and then you get a late notice and you're like, crap. Got it. Yep. $30 yep. overpayment so fee. Yeah. Other, other than putting um, a child on a card, is there, is there anything else out there? What if they went out and, per, and got a bill in their name? Does that help with, with the credit score? So what are some other tools that, and techniques that they could use? So when it comes to utilities, Say like they go and rent somewhere for a couple of years and, you know, they sign a lease. Leases don't get reported to credit bureaus. Um, energy bills don't get reported to credit bureaus. Uh, utilities in general don't typically get get reported. Uh, phone bills as well don't get reported unless you don't pay. So then those bills become negatives on your credit bureau. As opposed to, so there, there is no real way to get those to be positives. They all just become negatives if you stop paying and you have a balance and it gets charged off. Then, you know, you get all the, the bad part about it <laughs> and none of the good, unfortunately. But yes, yeah, so, uh, you know, I would say other options, it, because on a, credit, on a credit bureau, you have what's called a trade line, which is a credit card revolving. And you have installments, which would be a car loan, a mortgage, an unsecured loan, things like that would be called or home equity line of credit. Um, well that that's going to be on the mortgage side, but it's still kind of a kind of a uh, an installment port, uh, type of loan. But if you go and get, say, a CD secured loan or a savings secured loan to help boost your score or help with your credit, I, I used to do this when I was at my previous company where I'd have a client that didn't have great credit. She was trying to like build it. She didn't really have any positives going on. But she couldn't get approved for anything because the score was so low. But she had some cash in the bank. So what we would do is we would say, okay, let's do 
a $2,500 CD secured loan. We would take you know, money from her savings, put it in a CD for 24 months. Then we would take the, we would lend against it at a small interest rate and we would give that money to the borrower. But instead of actually giving it to the borrower, we would put it in a savings account and then auto pay out of that savings account to the loan. And it would just pay itself and she wouldn't have to think about it or he wouldn't have to think about it. Sounds to me when, um, Sounds to me when someone sat down to write the uh, the formula for for determining your credit, it sounds like at the table were some uh, credit card companies and some some uh, some lending companies that helped write that formula. There, huh? <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, I mean it's like, <laughs> but I mean see, we, that's we have thing, a debt that, we have a debt problem. I mean you see it. You yeah, see people's yeah. credit. You see people's we see people's stuff and like people are are, are they're they're maxed out. They're living above their means. They're not saving. And the only way to build credit is to go get access more to more debt. Yep, yep. And and the cost of the cost of that that let's say low credit score is your interest rate. You know, that's the cost of borrowing and, and the cost of, of what your credit score is. So, you know, if you can boost that score even momentarily cuz you know, as a, as a mortgage company, we take a snapshot in time. And that's it. Like yeah, we can yeah. do what's called a rapid rescore. If you you know if you hurry up and pay a bill off, we can do rescores and things like that. But it's uncommon for us to do those types of things, unless there's something crazy on your bureau, and you go and get it fixed, and then we do a rescore, yeah. and you know the score's up fifty points. You know it's it's uncommon for that to happen. I, I want to say one more thing about credit scores, and Xavier, I think we wanted to chat about refinancing and, and ask some questions about that. So, all right, listeners, check this out. Your credit. This is this is what my dad would tell me growing up. Your credit score. You should treat that thing like it is, like the most valuable thing that you have. You never know when you're gonna need to borrow money, and when you need to borrow it, you want to make sure you have a good credit score. If you do not have a good credit score, even if you're not looking to borrow money right now, start to build your credit score up. Here's why: a bad credit is expensive. Bad credit's gonna make your insurance go up, depending on what state you live in. I know in Louisiana, our our um, a lot of insurance, uh, uh, particularly homeowners carriers, your 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 insurance rate is going to be driven by your credit score. Like it or not, it's a reality. The credit cards that you apply for, there's some credit cards that if you have good credit, you have better uh, terms in your interest. Getting a loan, whether it's a mortgage, a car loan, a business loan, if you've got bad credit, it is expensive. So start cleaning it up now. All right, I'm off my soapbox. All right. Xavier, refinancing, <laughs> go ahead. Before we get to refinancing, I do have a question for you. So one one that comes up often to me is what's the difference between a fixed, a variable, and an adjustable rates? It, it, so give us a high level value, because I know we could go on for days with this. Yeah, so we don't really, at least in this area, we don't really see very many adjustable rate mortgages. We call them ARMS, adjustable rate mortgage. We don't see very many of those. It's, I think, in the two and a half years that I've been doing mortgage, I've done two. And it was because they were such unique situations where that was the only thing available to them. We've, we typically just do your, you know, your typical conventional, your FHA, your, uh, rural development and your, um, veterans loans, your VA loans. So those are like your standard four that we typically go with. And they all have fixed rates, fixed terms, and, and principal and interest payments are never changing. 
the fixed the fixed uh, or excuse me the principal and interest part of, of the payment is never changed. For an adjustable rate mortgage to be a, a, a like an option is say I'll give you a good a good example. Condos they have to be approved to go conventional or FHA or things like that and there's stipulations involved there's like a checklist we call it a questionnaire that has to be answered and if that questionnaire is not acceptable they cannot go conventional FHA rural development or VA it's just not it's not an acceptable program to go that way and and a lot of times that questionnaire kind of like gauges the value of that property and the volatility of the value of that property. So let's say it's a brand new condo build that's being built and the builder is finishing one at a time and the first one's being the first one's finished and he's ready to sell it. That condo is not ready to go conventional because the whole condo association, now we're starting to get pretty te technical, mm -hmm. but the whole condo association is not completed. The condo, the homeowners association of that condo has not been turned over from the builder. Those are two factors that would go into play if they were turned over and completed to be able to go conventional or typical traditional financing. So in those scenarios, they would have to go a portfolio or an adjustable rate mortgage. So we have at Noel Lending Group has an excellent portfolio loan with, you know, we're owned and operated by Fidelity Bank, but we have an excellent adjustable rate mortgage portfolio loan for these types of condos. If for some reason, you know, we can't go traditional financing, the only route to get into this condo is to go adjustable rate mortgage. And it's not you know, an end-all, be-all kind of thing. It's, let's get you in here, and then in three years, once the condo is completed, I will call you, mm -hmm. and we will refinance gotcha. this to a 30 or 15 or, you know, whatever term those, you wish to do at that point. As those, long adjustable okay. rate mortgages, those adjustable rate mortgages, that's what got a lot of people in trouble prior to the, back in 2008 because right. they were borrowing money at... And back then, guys, look, if you're if you're looking to finance today and you're like, ah, oh, I missed the boat, interest rates are so high. Interest rates are still really, really, really low. I, my first mortgage was a 5% arm. Um, so adjustable rate for five years and then had to be refinanced because interest rates at that time were seven, seven and a quarter probably. But um, but yeah, be careful with those because if you're loaned to the your, your maximum amount that you can borrow on and that adjustable rate when a term comes to adjust to the current rates if rates are higher and you're living you're living right on the edge of your, your of your money you're in trouble so eric's giving me my cue in there because he talked about that adjustable um arm um over the course of five years and, and then refinance so tell us about refinancing jason when when is when's a good time to refinance what is refinance talk to us a little bit about that so like i said at the very beginning you know, there's three typical reasons for an individual to come to us and say, hey, I would like to pursue getting a mortgage. Um, one is, of course, that purchase where you're either moving to a new home or you've been renting and you're going to a purchase uh, and purchase a you know, home for the first time or subsequently. And then the other option is refinance. Or um, or the refi cash out that I mentioned, which is essentially a refinance with cash that you would get. And, and those two options is, is very, de 
dependent on the goals of each individual. So if the goals, let's just start with refinance, no cash out. If the goal of that individual is to get the lowest credit score, or excuse me, get the lowest interest rate that they can possibly get, then we're going to analyze what they currently have, tell them what the difference is, explain to them the cost of the refinance and, and what's involved in that, and, and then say, hey, does this make sense to you? You're gonna save, so if it, you know, a hundred dollars. If I'm, so if I'm at a current four and a quarter, mm-hmm. let's just throw out four and a quarter, and you know I've been paying on this for eight nine years, and and rates have come down, um, and I come to you and say, Jason, you know, I, I, I look, I see rates are, I don't know, three and a half, three and three quarters of a percent. That would be what I could come in and refinance then and get that lower rate. Is that how that would work? Correct. But every situation, and, and a lot of people like to say the typical benchmark for refinancing is like one saving 1% on your interest rate. But in my opinion, even that is still kind of iffy because it's, it's really, like I said, it's always dependent on the situation. So if you are 13 years into your loan and you're going to go three quarters of a percent lower on interest it's probably very close to being worth it or not because that savings that you're going to realize every month is going to partly be because you're reterming back up to a 30 year and and you're you're adding 13 years back to your loan and and those are the kind of questions that I'm going to ask a client I'm like do you want to go back to a 30 does that make sense to you and the client's say 50 years old she's like well no I don't want to be 80 and still paying a loan so they have she may ask what about a 15? So we can analyze whether doing a 15-year loan, which is going to have a slightly, typically, slightly lower interest rate than a 30-year. So that we may get an individual into a 15-year, have the same exact payment that they originally had, and shave two, maybe three or four years off their loan. Then in that scenario, I'm going to say, look, this is probably a no-brainer, but you still have to look at it because you know you do have fees involved in it but you are shaving you know 36 months 48 months worth of payments off and you're paying the same loan you know yeah i think i think i think you, you kind of your scenario there i think you do a good job of of kind of capturing why it's important to have a trusted person to walk you through the different scenarios I, we you know, i've i've had a lot of conversations over the past 3 years with clients about refinancing. And in some cases it's like, Hey, it makes sense. I had a client who, who literally 10 months ago, I recommended refinancing. They never (laughs) did it. And then today I'm like, ah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a coin toss. It probably not worth it right now. And we're talking about 10 month difference. So I think having that, talking out that conversation or having that conversation, talking out and looking at the numbers is, is a, is a very fruitful and, um, uh, wise endeavor if you're considering refinancing. Yep. And and I mean, I would even go so far as to say, you said 10 months, I would go so far as to say two months. If you spoke to someone two months ago about this and you probably recommended it then, this is how drastic these these rates have changed in, in an environment that's so crazy volatile for all different reasons. And, and I mean, it's just if you were pre-qualified for a certain amount, and this is kind of one yeah. thing that I, I did want to, to touch on, 
you know, a year ago, say the rate was 3%. And on a $400,000 loan, your payment was like $1,686. If you did that same loan today, let's say your rate's 5%, because I think the annual, the average national rate on a 30-year term is around 475 right now. Wow. So if wow. let's just say a flat 5 to make it easy math. Yeah. Your payment is... I did calculate it, and it's right here. It's more. It's it's more. Oh yes, it was twenty one forty seven. So that's a difference. Oh. Of I don't need a calculator. Three hundred eighty dollars yeah. a month, and and that if you wanted to have the same payment of that sixteen eighty six, I kind of backed into that transaction. You would only be able to afford a three hundred and ten thousand dollar loan. You lost ninety thousand dollars in purchasing power in in a year. Yeah, has the real estate market caught up to that? Probably not, but yeah. it might. We just we just don't know. You know, it depends on supply. It depends on demand. Yeah. It depends on every every location is completely different. But I mean, those are the kind of things that yeah. buyers are currently having, you know, concerns about. Um, yeah. But to go back to the refi, if you have a refi cash out, there's going to be many reasons for an individual to do a cash out. So we, you know, when a when a person comes over and says, and let me just stipulate this. So if an individual comes to me and says, I want to get cash out, it, it's it may not be literal cash. They may want to pay off debt. They may want to roll in a home equity line of credit or roll in a home equity loan into one single payment as a first mortgage and have one payment altogether and have a fixed rate. Because typically home equity lines of credits and loans might be variable depending and they usually follow prime. So, but if you, it, it might not be like, how much cash am I going to get? It's, it's not really like that because a lot of clients, they're like, well, I'm not getting cash, so it's not a cash out. And I'm like, but... You are getting more than what your current yeah. balance is in your first mortgage, so it's considered cash out, even if you are paying other debts off. So I wanted to to first explain that about cash out and refi cash out. So a number of individuals will come to us and say they, they, they're going to have any reason under the sun, and it might be I want to buy a boat. It might be I want to invest in a business or I want to start a business or it might be I have lots of credit card debt and I don't want to pay 20% anymore or I am in mountains of payments on a monthly basis and instead of paying $5,000 a month in all these payments, they could pay one single payment and it might be half. Then they freed up $2,500 a month that can go towards that debt and fast track that payoff faster. Yeah. I think I think if so if you're looking to refinance or doing a cash out refi, I think that's something anytime anytime you take on debt, de debt has a tendency to magnify problems, financial problems if you have debt. So anytime you're taking on debt, that's something that that I would counsel anyone that is a decision that you don't want to make lightly talk it through even if it makes sense talk to people with different perspectives to see if to see if it's prudent choice to uh, a prudent decision prudent move for you and and that's a that is very very good thing to say because typically when you get an individual that is in that type of situation it's not the debt it's the habit 
They are overspending. They are living above their means. And when you do that refund, and I, I've done this for clients because I used to do home equities like blindfolded, like they were going out of style when I worked for my other institution. And I would tell these guys, I would say, hey, look, yes, we're paying off debt, but I don't want you here in two years telling me we need to increase this because you didn't make a change to the way you were living. Yep. Uh, it's not what they want to hear. <laughs> But I'm pretty yeah. honest and I'm pretty transparent about what I'm going to yeah. tell you, and maybe that's why I'm such a lovable guy. You're so and lovable. I think it, other it than comes, Alabama, it, other than that Alabama yeah. thing, <laughs> when it comes back so, to accountability, and and I think when you're working with a professional, whether it's your CPA, um, your financial planners, um, you know your your loan originators, your mortgage guys, um, it's that accountability piece that's going to hold people so that they're not in, incurring more debt. Accountability. That's a, that's a powerful thing. And on that note, I want to wrap it up on that note. Accountability. I like that, Xavier. I think that's a good, a good note to, um, to wrap it up. It's kind of like I said, having people around you who can keep you accountable to make good financial decisions is important. And Jason, uh, is one of those guys. If you're looking to borrow, looking to talk through a situation, maybe thinking about, you know, to a year or two down the line, wanting to, to, to buy or refinance, this is the time to start thinking about it, to start repairing your credit now if you don't have good credit. So Jason, I know he's, he's making himself available as a resource. We'll have, Jason, we'll have your, your, your information in the show notes. If anyone wants to reach out to, um, to you, they'll have it. But man, thanks for taking time to come sure. join us in studio today. He is in <laughs> studio with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do, I, I do want to put it out there. I can lend in 46 of the 50 states. Um, Maryland, Kansas, New Jersey, and New York are the only ones we cannot. So if you have any questions, we have any listeners in Maryland, try to help you. (laughs) But if you're in those areas, you know, it'd be probably prudent for you to look for a local lender for you. We we do have a couple. (laughs) I've done loans out, out, you know, out of the state for sure. Yeah. Well, it was, it was great having you on. I I thank you for coming up uh, to the office and joining us today. Thank you. We do have a client in Maryland. I think we do have a client in Maryland. So we do Kansas. We, I just got, got a, that. We've got a couple. A friend of mine. He yeah. he's a resident down here in New Orleans, and he just he just got accepted to uh, Maryland School of Medicine for a six year residency up there. So he was he was messaging me. He was like, "Can you lend in in Maryland?" I was like, "No, you know that. Oh, you know that." <laughs> cool, man. Thanks again. Thanks again. Thank Take you. care. Yeah, we appreciate you having being here. Thank you. Information presented and discussed on the Stuff About Money podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute direct financial advice. Consult with a qualified financial advisor prior to implementing any strategies discussed. Eric Garcia and Xavier Angel's branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor not affiliated with Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated.